Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we talk about pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both. Libby Saylor is back and today we are talking about Working Girl. If you understand the nuances and intersections of being a BIPOC woman, a woman identifying, a woman in a male-dominated industry, and all the microaggressions that come with the daily existence and how media reinforces those stereotypes, but you still love pop culture, then Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous Best Friends Club on Patreon is just for you. Join an incredible community of like-minded individuals who meet monthly to discuss a different topic in pop culture, access to bonus content, weekly lunchtime hangout sessions, and discounts on merch. To learn more about how to become a part of the Best Friends Club, visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash become a member. There's a hyphen in between become a member. Become hyphen a hyphen member. See you there. Do you love to read? Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous hosts a monthly book club that reads books that have been adapted for the screen. We meet on the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. The book club is open to anyone, but Patreon pals can vote on our monthly read and have access to our replay. To sign up, hit the link in the show notes. Working Girl released December 20th, 1988 and stars Sigourney Weaver, Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, Alec Baldwin, and Joan Cusack, just to name a few. But before we dive in, let me reintroduce you to my guest, Libby Saylor is a blogger and artist living and working in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Her blog, The Goddess Attainable, aims to inspire and empower women to become their authentic goddess selves unapologetically. She explores topics of dating and relationships, self-love, personal growth, and spirituality, among others. Libby was here in seasons two and three, where we discussed When Harry Met Sally and Sixteen Candles, and we've become friends in real life, and I enjoyed those conversations, so it felt only normal and natural to bring her back today. Welcome to the show, Libby. Thank you. Good to be here. When you're reading, I just realized I've only done 80s things so far. Oh my god, Which I'm fine with. That's my that's my bread and butter. But it's like when you said Harry Met Sally, sixteen can yeah, and working yeah. girl. Which I kind of love works that for me because I'm I'm yeah born in seventy nine, so I yeah. think it's like I think it works. That's your era, which is interesting yeah. too because another topic you're here for will be talking about Angela from Who's the Boss. So it's another eighties. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are the ones that I sort of like pick. So it's like. You know, I mean, I could probably do 90s too since I was like a teen in the 90s, but 80s is there's just something probably the nostalgia. It's mm-hmm. so like in my soul. Yeah. So, yeah. I love That's that. Funny. I just thought of that. I know. I love that. And friends, if you haven't listened to the When Harry Met Sally episode, it's so good. You have to tune in. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes to make it easier so that way you have you can't avoid it. <laughs> You have to click on it. You have to click on it now. (laughs) Before we dive into our topic about working girl, though, I do want to start off with this question. Do you remember what you thought of like rich or wealthy women on TV or in movies when you were a kid? Yeah, it's like if I think about the question, I kind of feel like I thought they were awesome. Oh, I love that. Like there was, yeah, like there was, you know, I, I have like one voice with my father who is always kind of like people with a lot of money have no souls. Mm. Like that's, you know, he still kind of thinks that and there's, I'm always a bit conflicted, but like me personally, I don't think I was in a place at a young age to like understand that or really care. You know, Mm. I was like, and such a visual person, I'm like, they're so pretty, there, you know, and, and especially in the eighties, there was like very specific rich people things. Like, I feel like everybody in the eighties always had a French twist, Mm -hmm. like a French twist equals like rich woman, or they always had like red nails. So just like pretty things like that. I associated with like rich women. And I don't think I had a judgment or a negative connotation. I was like, Oh, they're beautiful. That's cool. I didn't think any deeper than that. Is that weird? No, I don't think so. And I think, you know, what was yours? 
it's interesting because you know when you said that your dad said that rich people have no soul and the first person i thought of is elon musk when you said that <laughs> which he doesn't like right. he does like my so, dad is not wrong the older i get the more i'm like oh shit and i always try to i always try to like argue with him like no and then like something will happen in life i'm like oh. my dad was right yeah i was right and like i hate that he's right because it but you you think about the way people earn money and mm-hmm. the kinds of things, especially the working girl is a classic example. But like you think about the things that people have to do to get not to just make good money, but to like be insanely rich on like yeah. another level. Like yeah. it requires a lot of undercutting gross stuff, I think, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I just wasn't aware of until maybe I got older or started paying attention. So I think he's right for the most part. I don't want him to be, but. Yeah, especially when it comes to what kinds of men are represented these days or who are portraying wealth. There's a lot of like, are you a robot? Yeah. (laughs) But it, it, but anything, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, but then we have to wonder, is it different for women? Yeah. Like obviously rich men are, you know, we can name a million evils, but like, I don't know. Is it different with women? And I think, and I think that it is, that's why the whole season, this season is dedicated to representation of wealthy women in the media, because I think too, it changes based on decade because my first exposure to a wealthy woman on television was Claire Huxtable. I was going to say Claire Huxtable. Yes. And she's amazing. She's kind of like, perfect person she's she's got she's the right balance of being a shark and empathy you know and she's warm and loving but when you see her like when she knows that she's got a good case or she's she just can get or even with even with cliff she's like no no Mm -hmm. or with the kids like she just don't like don't mess with her she's just perfect she's like honestly goddess she's goddess level perfection she absolutely is and you're right she did have a french twist sometimes in her hair during a (laughs) few episodes she did wear her Mm -hmm. hair down a lot too but there was something about her that was just oozing wealth in such a dignified way like they were very humble about how much money they had you know they were very like we worked very hard to be here kind of. Yeah. And the kids had to like do the chores and they didn't like let them off the hook or anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard because it's like, that was a fictional character. You wonder like, is, is there a real woman like that Mm -hmm. in the world or yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of set me up for uh, a struggle over the next (laughs) course of my life, because then you have (laughs) characters in movies where you're just like, Miranda Priestly, you are an interesting human, but also you have to live within the patriarchy to survive. So, but also, you know, there's just this whole like, well, what do we, what are the messages that we're getting and what do we remember as children? So I feel lucky that my first representation was Claire Huxtable, but it did sort of set up this confusion. <laughs> like, wait, am I allowed to have money or am I not allowed to have money? Because pop culture can't make up its mind. <laughs> Our topic today is Working Girl. Since this film released in 1988, let's do a recap for everyone. And okay, as we all know, I pull my summaries from Google. Savvy New York City receptionist Tess McGill gives her conniving boss, Catherine Parker, an excellent business tip. But Catherine simply steals the idea without giving due credit to her secretary. After Catherine winds up in the hospital with an injured leg, Tess decides to exact revenge, pretending to be her boss. Tess initiates a major deal with an investment broker, but things turn ugly after Catherine finds out what Tess has been up to. At the time of its release, Roger Ebert had this to say, the plot of Working Girl is put together like clockwork. It carries you along while you're watching it, but reconstruct it later and you'll see the craftsmanship. Kevin Wade's screenplay is sort of underhanded in the way it diverts us with laughs and with melodramatic subplot involving Griffith's former boyfriend, while all the time it's winding up for the suspenseful climax, end quote. (laughs) 
I didn't put in quotes. So I was like, wait, did I write that or did Roger Ebert write that? So while this film carries the theme of class, it hones in on the need for women to be at odds with each other in business. The film reaffirms repeatedly that Tess doesn't have the right education to even dare to dream of being more than a secretary. But what it also affirms is that there's barely room for one woman, let alone two. And this kind of narrative creates the need for unhealthy competitions to succeed and rise above. In the 1988 review from the New York Times, Janet Maslin had this to say, quote, working girl as an 80s creation is its way of regarding business and sex as almost interchangeable pursuits and suggesting that life's greatest happiness can be achieved by combining the two. Catherine Parker is just shy of 30 and in a powerful and in a powerful position in the firm. And though we didn't see her rise to the top, we can speculate she likely had a similar experiences with her male colleagues. In an article from 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that, quote, women who are committed to careers have not been around long enough to gain the experience necessary for the top spots. It takes an average of 35 years after college to become a CEO, which means that women would have had to get on the career ladder at a, by 1953. Few women were in business school at this time. Most business schools began admitting increasing numbers of women in the early 1970s, and women now comprise a quarter or more of enrollment in MBA programs at such prestigious schools as Stanford and Harvard. At Stanford, for instance, women comprise nearly one-third of current enrollment compared to less than 2% in 1972. At Harvard, women make up 27% of the MBA students compared to 4% in 1972. End quote. Hmm. By this reporting, Catherine Parker is likely an early recipient of many of the Ivy League universities accepting women into MBA programs. She's beautiful, intelligent, comes from wealth, and fits that WASP narrative perfectly. So let's talk about Katherine Parker. What are your impressions of her? And just so for everyone at home knows, Sigourney Weaver plays Katherine Parker. Mm-hmm. Who's my favorite? I love her too much. Um, also, that's like really, I didn't know Harvard currently has 27% MBA. That's like sad. That was, but that was in 1988. Okay. That was back. Yeah. Okay. I was Mm -hmm. like, it seems like there's more now. Um, Catherine, like my, my first thought about her, especially when I rewatched it was like, cause I'm very, everything's through the lens of like a goddess. So like Athena, it reminds me of, I mean, she's such an Athena and Athena, people know Athena is like the goddess of war, but really Athena is like her strategy. She's very strategic and Mm -hmm. the strategy is to align with men aligned yeah. with like male power. That's like sort of, that's how Athena like won her wars and got what she wanted. She was like, she had no aversion to men. She like basically played along with them and befriended them. So I feel like there's, there's that with her. And, you know, it's, I kind of put that in like the second wave of fem- feminism where it was like women were kind of like so competitive with other women because they're like, you know, the whole, there's only, one person one woman at this all it's either me or it's you so if mm-hmm. it's you I gotta go you know like so it's such an aggressive way whereas now I think it's such a like refreshing thing because I feel like there's so much more like women supporting women um but yeah my first impression is like Athena she's like I'm with the boys I gotta work with the boys I'm not aligning with any women um I thought she was really scary mm-hmm. even like just as a kid I was like that's a scary woman she's really no problem confrontational, no, like so confident. Um, and then I also thought she was like impressive though. Cause like, there's that one scene where she's like flirting with this guy. He's like this disgusting guy. Yeah. And she's like, Hey, you know, and then I guess Tess comes over and is just like, who's that? And she's just like, Oh, she like barfs in her mouth, you know? So it's like, she admits like, Hey, I'm just to- totally playing this game. That was super disgusting. I feel like any woman who does that is like a super badass. Even I don't even think I could do it. I just oh. bark in my mouth. I don't know. I don't know if I could flirt with some gross guy just to get what I want. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, and I also think she can be a sympathetic character because she was cheated on. I mean, I know she sucks, mm-hmm. but like, she was cheated on and that kind of sucks. And yeah, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot. She's kind of complex, but in general, I think she scared the shit out of me. (laughs) 
Well, I, and you almost have to be like, especially in the 80s, right? Especially after reading all those stats about like how women weren't accepted into graduate programs and essentially yeah. until the 70s or the early 50s or the 50s, 60s or whatever it was, because now you're not just competing like you're the only woman in the room like yeah that I've felt that before it sucks and mm. it and it's like how do you you have to survive you have to figure out how to survive in order to be able to not miss those opportunities because you're already fighting the assumption that you're lesser because you're a girl oh they just let you in because you're a girl <laughs> it's you know as you're talking though it's funny because you think about that has to, your, your priority in life and your soul to be like, that has to be power mm-hmm. because I was thinking about Tess as you're talking, I'm like, well, Tess still wanted to be friends with her coworkers. And that last scene, which, oh my God, I like, I get misty eyed every time I watch it with the whole, when she's telling her, you know, she thinks like, she thinks the secretary desk is her desk and her yeah. secretary is like, no, 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 you're actually in that huge office. Yeah. And then they talk about her expectations and she's like, she's just so nice to her. She's like, don't get coffee unless you're getting it for yourself. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. So it's like, there are, but honestly, like, I don't know if that would have like worked in reality, like in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I feel like your priority has to be complete power in order to treat other women that terribly yeah it's like you have to kate you have to fall in line with the patriarchy otherwise there's no room for you because you know we've seen it men don't care if you're a threat they will find a way to get you out oh yeah oh my god i mean still they're kind of ruthless (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) it's a whole other i mean women can be too yeah women it's not specific to men but no but i am now leaning more that role yeah i was gonna say i am more leaning now towards the idea that women it's a survival skill for women as opposed to men just behaving that way totally because like we can't come in and change the status quo if it's like it's like you come in and you think okay so how can I survive this environment and you see the way they treat people and you're like okay I have to fall in line and act like the top men do otherwise I'm out whereas you know these men have just always been on top and privileged and assumed that way they will always be number one and so that's why they can behave that way it's like that scene where Oliver Platt sends Melanie Mm. Griffith out to go meet with that gross leader so guy gross. in the company Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey he has creeped me out my whole life so gross in that scene uh-huh and like she's she's innocent she's super naive in the sense of like she thinks this is a real job opportunity and he's just looking for a good time and yeah. Oliver Platt knows this right and sends her into the lion's den and Melanie Griffith is like I'm gonna get out of the car right here, which good for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was get it was getting scary because not everyone has the um I don't want to say strength, but not everyone has the ability to do that. Like she was confident mm. enough in what she wanted in life to be able not the saying confidence is the wrong word. I feel like if I was in her position, I feel like fear would be my main motivator. Mm-hmm. Like I just I like. I got to get out of here because I'm scared of what happens if I don't, you know? Yeah. Fight or flight kind of situation. Totally. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that's a situation that a lot of women are put into. Um, Mm -hmm. And going back, calling back to your uh, comment about Catherine flirting with that guy. I feel like that's how Catherine avoids those situations. Like she flirts just enough but then is able to like dial it back and get what she wants. She's maybe been in Melanie Griffith's position before, but maybe not, you know, just, we don't know because we don't get a ton of backstory on her. Yeah. It's so funny. I think I'm like envious of, of that ability. Like, I know that's a very woman, you know, it's like the skill that a lot Mm -hmm. of women possess. And I actually just watched Mission Impossible 2 last night because my sister and I thought that the new Mission Impossible had already come out. We were going to buy tickets. We were like oh, so excited. It was yeah. not out until 2023. Oh. So, so I was like watching back to back all the Mission Impossibles to catch up for this Sunday. And then I was like, oh shit, we're not. Anyway, yeah. so <laughs> in Mission Impossible 2, 
Thandie Newton, she plays a thief and her whole, the whole thing, she's like having to sleep with an ex-boyfriend, have him give her all the information. Mm. It's like the whole movie was like blowing my mind how she's like just playing everybody, but she's also has feelings and is vulnerable and doesn't want to do it, but is also like power. And so it's like, even with Sigourney Weaver, she doesn't, she didn't seem scared or anything to flirt right. with that guy. It seems like very, I'm in control. I'm complete in control. Yeah. I just don't think, I I don't think I could do that. I would just be, I don't know what the hell I would do. I would get myself yeah. into huge messes, but <laughs> so I feel like that's an impressive skill, even though it's, you know, she, it's not great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely um, a learned skill because we you know have to find ways to survive yeah <laughs> that's how i feel too <laughs> <laughs> we have merch visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to purchase today some hoodies and t-shirts are the pop culture staples but you don't want to miss out on our seasonal collections, whether it's specific to the show or a season. Catch those limited edition styles before they're gone. Visit popculturemakesmejealous.com slash merch to shop and use promo code SHOPPOD to receive 15% off your first order. That's S-H-O-P-P-O-D. Be sure to tag us on social wearing your swag. Are you a creative working in corporate America and frustrated by the lack of support or understanding from non-creatives at your work? Are you an aspiring creative looking for ways to move into a professional creative career and unsure how? Are you a creative feeling lonely and frustrated by a lack of community? Exhausted Creatives wants you. This network brings together creatives who are exhausted by corporate America, capitalism, work environments, or social situations where people think your creativity is cute and want to find comfort and satisfaction in their creative careers with like-minded people. Memberships are open. Check out Exhausted Creatives on Instagram. Are you subscribed to our YouTube channel? It's the only way to be sure it's you never miss our live shows like Still Comfy or the awards coverage I do with Movies with Mr. Mario. We're on YouTube as Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous subscribe today in that same article from the la times from 1988 they also had this to include most banks did not allow women into management training programs until about 15 years ago so 1988 minus 15 years is that 1973 also mm -hmm. many women pursuing their careers through the 1960s and 1970s were relegated to the velvet coffins of personnel and corporate communications departments excluding them from the line positions that provide the bulk of the top executives, end quote. So when Tess, played by Melanie Griffith, shows she has the drive to be more than a secretary, she faces a litany of horrific behavior from her male colleagues, as we mentioned a little bit ago. Mm -hmm. She's placed for the fourth time as Catherine Harper's secretary. Tess pitches this idea to Catherine, and after Catherine experiences an accident, Tess learns that Catherine is attempting to present this idea as her own. She embarks on a journey of making this deal happen. That's like the whole premise of the movie. Mm -hmm. So when Catherine finally returns, she shares with Tess that she's presenting the idea to Jack as her own, as her own because of ethics, reminding Tess that it's a two-way street. But when Catherine learns what Tess has been doing, she loses her shit and crashes a very important meeting where she scoffs at the idea that a secretary could possibly come up with such an idea. Tess goes from feeling supported by Catherine to being portrayed to support it again, then clearly portrayed once more. While this concept exists in male-centric movies, it's different when it's between two women. So I want to talk about why this is different between two women as opposed to to men yeah what are your such thoughts a good question it's like yeah. a genius question oh <laughs> I mean oh my god yeah I love the question I mean I kind of feel like my first reaction was like I don't know if men okay imagine a man in complete power and somebody under him maybe he's mentoring someone has like a really good idea there's a part of me that thinks well a man in power his power is not threatened 
Mm-hmm. He's not constant, you know, with Catherine, like she's constantly trying to maintain her power with a, a man. I feel like he might be less likely to just throw a guy under the bus. Cause it's like, he's not going to lose anything by helping this guy. You know, that was one thought, but just say it did happen. You know, I mean, sometimes guys are gross too. So say these things happen. I feel like just because of the way men tend to handle things, I think a man who would be in Tessa's role probably would confront his boss directly Mm -hmm. that's kind of my assumption i i think women are more likely to be a little bit more roundabout about i'm not saying that's good or bad i'm not saying either good or bad i think Mm -hmm. women again it's a learned skill i've had to learn well if we confront someone we're a bitch or we're gonna get fired or we get smacked in the face or whatever like confrontation can be a really we can get really bad results from it. So we've had to learn, I mean, like as a species to sort of go around or manipulate or whatever. And so I think a woman's natural response is to kind of go around. Yeah. uh, And a man, I think would just call him up and be like, what the fuck, dude, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) that's kind of my first reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because as women, we are, sort of shepherded away from confrontation Mm -hmm. right like even if we are direct like you said the results always end up poorly for us like we get those nasty words placed on us for being direct and I don't know about you if this is your experience but in my experience I won't be loud I will be very calm cool collected in confrontation and I'm still getting told you're being unhinged you're being emotional like all these things and it's like attack the way you're doing it which is such bullshit because it's like there's no I mean you just can't win like if you do it you can't you're too emotional you're not emotional enough and it's just you it's like a lose-lose for Mm -hmm. you yeah and they do working girl does such a it works really hard to make sure that we know that tess and Catherine are different so like you Mm. have the social class is part of the commentary too because tess didn't Mm -hmm. go to the right schools and she lives in the wrong city and staten island yeah and oh my gosh alec baldwin (laughs) uh what a scumbag oh my god the way he talked because i you know it's fresh in my mind that one scene where like he proposed to her whatever but he'd already cheated on her and he was like you know she kind of said no in front of everyone he was like what the fuck and she was kind of defending herself and he was like where do you get off who like died made you grace kelly it's just like oh my god that is so abusive and terrible and awful and self-worth and it kind of weaked me out that her best friend was like why aren't you throwing him a bone? I'm like, uh, that's a shitty friend. If you like your boyfriend cheats on you and you're kind of like in his camp. Yeah. And that's just the mentality at the time. Like you should be grateful and still sometimes to this day. Yeah. You should be grateful that somebody even bothered to ask you <laughs> to marry you because yeah. isn't that the end goal? And even the way that the, that the, her Staten Island people treat her, about her clothes and carrying a briefcase and all these yeah, things. And they're like oh you're miss fancy whatever now it's like mm-hmm. don't you want her to succeed or do well it's yeah with people. but it's true because her succeeding is a reflection or a reminder of maybe what they're not doing or it's very like class heavy for sure mm-hmm. big time um and then conversely we have Catherine, who's clearly you know well-bred who has great taste i mean she goes skiing for crying out loud like mm-hmm. as for fun like she's talking about um trying to like coordinate this marriage proposal that she thinks uh-huh. is gonna happen and just <laughs> after very all much- i'm me <laughs> And she's very much like, this is the line. These are the things that we are supposed to do as business professional women. And the next thing on my list to check off is getting married. Getting married. That's just like my ambition. Yeah. Which is so just strange. Um, It's not that strange, but to me, like I, this is why it's strange to me in this movie, because I always saw women in television who are ambitious 
getting married was not part of the goal of their story mm-hmm. Yeah. So to so to see that in Working Girl, I forgot about that part of Working Girl mm. when we were watching it. I was like, oh, I guess I didn't expect her to want to be like. And next is marriage. Yeah. <laughs> it, like it kind of works because Jack Trainer is he's like on her level, and so maybe in her mind it's like a power couple or mm. something. But it's true, and she didn't seem very sentimental about it. Like, oh, I right. love it, you know. Although the thing she did, though, I mean, well, this is another thought that I had about, you know, the difference between men arguing, men fighting over this and women, how women would handle it. This was also funky because they're kind of also fighting over a man. Yeah. Like when when Catherine finds like, you know, she Jack comes in and basically tries to break up with her, but doesn't, which I think is a total bullshit move on his part. Yeah. Um, because he's essentially playing both and Tess is so happy. I'm like, what are you happy for? He didn't break up with her. You yeah. Know? But so, so then Tess runs off and, and Catherine is left with like Tess's date, date book <laughs> and she sees that she's like scheming and getting her meeting up with Jack and she's, <laughs> she like freaks out. And she's like, slut. Like she screams the word slut. You know, it's like, she could have screamed other words, but like in her mind, it was like clear that she was like kind of taking her man as well yeah. so it's like they're fighting over business stuff but also like man stuff and that always just pisses me off because in the end two women are scrapping over this dumbass who is like he's just playing you I mean I know it's Harrison Ford he's the sweetest thing he's so cute he's so nice to test everybody loves him and it's not he's not like playing a cheater role mm-hmm. but when you watch it really closely it's like technically when you hooked up with Tess you were still with Catherine. Mm-hmm. You had plans to break up with her, but like, not really. And yeah. then you kind of tried to break up with her, but not really. So in the end, he never actually broke up with her and he's still like, Tess, I love you. So that is just an annoying thing, but it, it just makes it more of a complex, like complex cat fight between the two yeah. of them. Yeah, going back to what the um, New York Times said about it, how the, you know, business and sex are almost interchangeable pursuits and 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 your statement totally falls into that comment from the times because she could have tess could have still worked with jack trainer without them falling in love like that could have been part of the story like you didn't have to add that element necessarily to it for it to work because she's still tess has still gone behind Catherine's back to make these deals happen yeah. Even though and Catherine her idea is really good her idea is really good and so you know it was just kind of that for me it was like and I understand that the movie was in 1988 I get it I know but I just yeah. can't do that whole we're gonna have the guy be the source of these two girls fighting it's like that to me is, is it's frustrating and it's patriarchal bullshit because it's dividing us just to divide us like totally. instead of instead of uniting because he's not the one who's be he's the one who's not being honest with either of them they're now fighting with each other like that's so it's so yeah and the happily ever after thing is because she ended up with him you know like at the end yeah. they're like living together and like kiss each other goodbye it's like what if she didn't get with him and she was like alone I guess in her apartment in Staten Island going to work like is that not a happy ending because right. she still has the cool job but like apparently if you don't land the man then what's the point I mean and I get it we all want the happy ending with the hot guy like I mean we're all just like so pro like I want a fucking happy ending with the hot guy in my own life you know I mean but same but yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> But also how much of that is because we grew up with these types of happy endings. Girl, welcome to the story of my everyday dialogue. Like, Lib, do you, do you really, I mean, I know I want it, but like, do you, do you want it because you want it or do you want it because the whole world basically sees you as some kind of 42 or loser if you don't have a man who's in love with you, you know, like it's really hard. It's a daily, it's a daily like yeah. pondering situation. Yeah, I understand. I don't get invited stuff to stuff because I'm not coupled. And you know, and it's not because I'm not coupled. That's not what they say. But it's yeah. it is because I'm not coupled, because you're doing yeah. a couples activities and yeah, you it's like the Bridget Jones dinner party. Yes. And <laughs> which just... is an amazing scene. 
Yes. And it's just yeah. like, uh, it's, that's fine. Yeah. If you don't know how to have a relationship with a couple, with an uncoupled person as a couple yeah. fair, we don't have a ton of representation of that in, in media, but at no. the same time, like is why, why are we still, and I guess in 1988, I understand why they're still perpetuating the whole, you have to have the guy and the career, but there's God. still stuff today that still gives that narrative, still perpetuates oh my God. that message. Like that is, oh, that is such an alive, alive. And not only that, you have to have the guy, you have to be rock star at your job and you have to have kids and you have to have an amazingly hot body. Like I yeah. feel like the, the it's amount of pressure. pressure, it's actually more than it was. Yeah. And when, men are like having meltdowns and losing their minds and just like shutting down completely. Yeah. It's impossible. Like, oh my God, fuck it. It's impossible. For real. I know every time and because I'm having body image issues and I have been for a while. Um, mm-hmm. they were just easier to hide from during COVID because yeah, I was yeah, so yeah. go, go, go with work. And then now that I'm like we are re-entering into the world and I'm pulling out my wardrobe and we've had this conversation, but I'm really struggling with deprogramming the I ha- mm. I have to get back to how I looked at 31. Because yeah. I don't have my body is different now, right? Like, and no, not just I don't think we could. Yeah. yeah, and not just because I'm eighty pounds heavier, but because I'm no longer thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, and that- it's like it's even more like, and why is that a bad thing? Yeah, like okay, so you're not thirty. You're okay, so I'm not thirty-one. I'm forty-two. Why does that mean something disgusting? Yeah. You know? And I so they told I, us that they, because they told us that's why. Exactly. So I do appreciate the push of like move your body because it's good for your mental health. But there still perpetuates this idea of like, oh, only skinny pretty girls can have the hot guy at the end. So you got to be skinny at any length. Yeah. I do think that that is changing, you know, body positivity is out there and there's all these like really great like um femme forward folks who are, you know, your body is your body love it kind of stuff and I and yeah. and that's helping with the deprogramming. But do every- you ever see like I'm always fascinated by couples where if I'm out and I'll see like a woman who's maybe like not a stick mm-hmm. with like a super hot guy and I'm like, "What? It's just like that's always fun to see." That's what I'm like. I'm like, how, girl, how did you land that man? Because I would like I a very hot man like that. <laughs> but in my area, they also want me to be very skinny and fit, which right. is hard to do right. um, with the we current emotional state like, I'm in. <laughs> to, I mean, total, of course. Like, And you also have to ask like, okay, well, if you get a hot guy, is he going to be giving you what? Is he going to be giving your heart yeah. what it needs. I yeah. I've actually given up on the hot guy. I'm like, I mean, I think for me, I've always been intimidated by getting with a hot guy. Yeah. Like I think I would constantly worry that I wasn't attractive enough or that other women were trying to mess with him, which they probably would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I have so many actually stereotypes against hot guys and I'm like kind of scared to get with one. So I'm like, I don't know. I can lower my bar a bit for that. But if he happened to be hot and was nice, that's just like bonus. Yeah. Yeah. The giving you what you need. Actually, that's a big one. That's my biggest hurdle is after a couple of weeks, it's yeah. like, oh, you don't feed me the way I need to be fed. And you know what? Yeah. I'm like you deserve okay. that. You deserve someone who's like, I mean, you deserve someone who we all do, but you deserve someone who like adores you oh gosh yeah oh you yes, do that you word. too though well yes I hold up I mean I want that too and I'm like mm-hmm. I actually have had a taste of it in some relationships and so it's like that yes that feel I don't want to go lower than that feeling because yeah. that's a feeling that I'm actually very comfortable with and I yeah. don't think it's that hard to I mean I adore my best friend I adore my sister it's not that hard to like adore someone so it's okay to hold out for that. And I, it's interesting that you bring that up too, because I think we have such an emphasis on um, finding that romantic relationship. But what's great about having relationships in our lives that are non-romantic, it teaches mm-hmm. us how we like to be treated in those relationships. So totally. there's not a whole lot of conversation in, in representation of like, 
intimate relationships that are non-sexual, which 100% exist. And that's kind of what you have sometimes with certain people in your life, right? Well, I don't know about you, but there are people- If I didn't have that, I don't know where I'd be. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like, too, do we want- are we going to go with the Alec Baldwin character or are we going to go with, or, or is like our only two options, Alec Baldwin and Jack Trainer? I fucking hope not. Alec Baldwin needs to stay away from all women. He yeah. is so wretched. I mean, Jack Trainer, like, I guess I actually feel like he's unreal. Yeah. Like Alec Baldwin is, I think quite a typical, I mean, you just see that in real life, Jack Trainer. Yeah. I don't know um because he comes off as like this really great guy and he's smart and he's so and he's funny and and he's funny he's attractive and he's wealthy and like he's he's a gentleman and he's a gentleman and he listens when you talk like (laughs) i I mean that's hot it's so sad like like we're our our basics are just like oh he listens to me when i talk it's like it's so sad that that's our like bar like oh my god he listens to me it's like he should be fucking on like he should be hanging on our were every word i mean yeah. like is that too like i don't think that's too much i don't do think you do you do i do though if you do no. meet somebody else that's intriguing i do need you to tell me straight up because i don't want to find out from the <laughs> day planner like that oh my sounds God, no of course <laughs> of co- and same yeah oh god um were there any favorite scenes you had in this movie like what are your some of favorite some of your favorite scenes? I really do. I really do love that end scene. I always forget about it because it's just so. Um, I love the secretary, like Ms. Baxter. Like I mm-hmm. love Melanie Griffith's secretary because she kind of is just like she has her own attitude. She's like, "Can you not call me a secretary? I prefer assistant." Yeah. Uh, like she's like kind of cutting edge. Um, I also have to say, there's this one scene. You know when Catherine gets off the helicopter? Yes. She came. Okay. So this is just like a funny little tidbit. My boyfriend from college, his aunt Margaret is the woman standing next to Melanie Griffith who oh. wheels the wheel, who wheels Catherine Parker's wheelchair. And it's so funny because like, I know this woman, like I like spent a couple years with her. She yeah. was like my boyfriend's aunt Margaret. So I do love that scene. Cause it's like, there's Margaret. Yeah. Um. So that's just kind of fun. But I also, uh I hate to say it because we just trashed all of Jack Trainer's stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, I kind of like the scenes with the two of them because yeah. they're cute. I mean, yeah. I like the bar scene. I like yeah. the bar scene. That's the one she's I was going to so, say. Yeah. yeah, she's just so like, she's she's powerful, but she's feminine. She's sexy, but she's vulnerable. He's kind of like charming. You know, I can't help it. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What are your favorites? What do you like? I love the bar scene when they first meet, but I'm a sucker for a meet cute. I'm such I a know. sucker for a meet cute. Um, yeah. And just that sort of like mysteriousness. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And then I loved it when she like turns and she's like, oh shit, I'm going to get called out because that other yeah. lady was there and she's yeah. very, very like here's I'll meet you outside with the coat check ticket and, yeah and he's yeah. completely unsuspecting so it was beautifully executed and he's I just think. like oh my god I'll go wherever she goes uh-huh uh-huh um and then I love the scene where she and Joan Cusack are in the in uh Catherine's closet <laughs> oh my six thousand dollars yes. not even leather yes. I mean everything with Joan I was going to say, I actually, and I, I filmed it on my phone, like when I was watching it, cause, and I save it, I'll rewatch it. It's the best. I love when Jack comes to the office and Joan has to be her secretary. Oh, uh-huh. And so she's like, let's give her a shout. And she's like, you decent. <laughs> and then the whole like coffee, tea, meat, like that's a cute, that's a, like a saying coffee, tea, meat. Like that's so like Joan Kuzak brilliance. Yeah. And I think that's, and I think actually in that scene, Harrison Ford was laughing at her like not scripted like he she was just like making him laugh and he was just kind of like breaking out of character so 
that actually might be my favorite scene that's a great scene too but you're right joan adds so much to everything she's in even in 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 roles that are more serious yeah but even in roles that are more serious because i was thinking of her i had a friend on last season who talked about say anything and you know she's the older sister oh my god i love her in that and she's a serious character but she's so good like she almost steals the scene every single time she's in a scene with john yeah she's also i think my number one role for her is have you ever seen toys which is so obscure. It is the most obscure. You, you need to see it. Is you it with Robin Williams? List. It's with Robin Williams. Yeah. And I can Robin... see the cover. It's blue yeah. with a hat. And, yeah. yeah. And Robin Wright. Pen. Well, Robin Wright. Robin, Penn, Robin Wright. Wright. Yeah. She, but Joan Cusack is in it. She plays the most bizarre, wacky. I don't even know what she is. Yeah. Her lines are so out there. And my sister and I were obsessed with her in this movie when we saw it. It was 90s. Um, so she can she can fucking do anything. Yeah. So yeah, anything with Joan Kuzak in this movie is just she just ups it up like 10 notches. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, at the end of the movie, when Catherine calls her out in the big meeting. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. and but she knows nothing about the deal right like how yes. did you come up with this idea and so like that whole scenario that whole situation like that was just like the whole I mean I knew how I've seen the movie I knew how it was going to end but I still had this like yeah <gasps> moment it's so because, awkward and embarrassing yeah because mm-hmm, she storms in it was like, do you have any idea who you're dealing with? This is a secretary. She is a liar. She is scamming yeah. you. But we know this whole time she's not. Like, the idea is brilliant. It's totally going to work. All these things. And I thought that was really interesting how committed Sigourney Weaver was. to She's, being... like, lying. Yes. Like, how you were committed to this lie to say that, ca- that Tess is a thief to the point where you're just like you it's like scary yeah yeah that was intense that was intense to me yeah Um, yeah and then when they ask her well where did you get the idea from it's like almost like oh god i don't even want to watch this because she it's so awkward and her and you could see it in her eyes where Mm -hmm. she's like oh shit and she's like, Jack, help me out. And he's like, Mm-mm. I actually feel bad for her in that scene a little bit. Cause it's like, oh God, this is hard to watch. Yeah. Although she's still like, I, I will not stand for someone talking to me like that. Like it's, she's still kind of like, fuck all of you. I don't care. Like it's yeah. kind of, I don't know. It. I, I kind of root for her. Maybe it's just where I'm at in my life right now. I'm so pro female pro Mm -hmm. goddess pro strong woman it's like i'll overlook a lot of things lately because a woman just has it harder and she's got to do what she's got to do and you know even she was kind of like walking with her tail between her legs and that scene it's like oh that kind of sucks i mean you totally brought on yourself you completely were terrible and fucked yourself but in that scene i'm like oh that sucks yeah, because it's, again, back to the whole, like, you have to do what you have to do to survive because the statistics are there. You're not going to yeah. make it any further if you don't, which is really sad and horrific and just a testament to how much these men want to hang on to the top. <laughs> They're God, willing it's... to pit us against each other. You know, I thought about that in this scene. Like, when she walks away like that, I thought, do you think her career would actually struggle after that. And I feel like, I know, I feel like it would, because I think the guy, you know, the Trask guy was like, I'll I'll make sure you never work again. Or, you know, he said something Mm -hmm. like that. And I kind of feel like, you know what? I think that she'll be okay. This was just sort of like a fluke. I don't, I think she was high enough, high up enough and just savvy enough that I don't think that anybody had the power to like ruin her career over something like that but I don't know it was just a question that I pondered like huh I wonder if she'll be okay or if she'll yeah. just like if that incident like destroyed her yeah uh, what do you, think? you know I actually didn't think about it 
because that's such a that's such a Hollywood thing to do is when someone sort yeah. of like messes up like that and then yeah I'll the big time guy mm-hmm, yeah. I'll ruin you you are ruined you will never yeah. work in this town again yeah kind of stuff like that's so that's so classic like is that necessary really yeah like, like yeah. don't threaten people like that that's yeah. not okay um but that's an interesting ponder because. I do wonder if she would be okay. I mean, she I could know. go. I mean, New York's the big city to do whatever it is that they do with numbers. Oh, yeah. I would um, like to think she'd be, but she could fine. go to London and do the same job. Like, there's office, there's companies in London that work with New. Like, if I know anything about whatever it is this job that she does, is there's companies <laughs> mergers and acquisitions. The yeah, there's companies yeah. all over the world that need that skill set. So I'm yeah, sure or just like, like don't deal with that particular company ever again. Yeah, yeah. but nobody gives it I, don't, I think she'd be okay yeah every tuesday night you can tune into instagram live and watch still comfy a show where julia washington host of pop culture makes me jealous and natalie katona host of to all the men i've tolerated before take a deep dive into pop culture properties they once loved to see if they still stand the test of time or review new iterations of beloved shows, celebrity biopics, and television reboots of movies or old ideas. In addition to co-producing and co-hosting the live show on Instagram, the pair takes to YouTube and go live to discuss new movies that are rooted in pop culture infamy. Subscribe to Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous's YouTube channel and never miss an episode. If you're not already following us on Instagram, do so so you can tune in every Tuesday. Or catch the replay the next day. One of the quickest and easiest ways to support our show is by subscribing, rating, and reviewing our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Sharing with other users while you love this show and reasons to tune in is a simple kindness that will forever go appreciated by Team Pop Culture. It makes me jealous. I'm going to be honest. Writing a review is the strongest move because when you write a review, it helps that pesky algorithm tell Apple this show is loved. Like, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for all your support, friend. When you join our Patreon community, you get access to all episodes, bonus content, invitations to our monthly happy hour, and a weekly drop-in hangout session that feels more like hanging out at a coffee shop. The cost is only $15 a month. When you join, we'll even give you a shout out in one of our episodes. When we hit 100 members, there may even be a book club involved too for us book nerds. Don't wait. Join us. Become a pop culture club member today. How do you think this film informed your opinions, subtle or otherwise, about wealthy, powerful women? And you could think about it back then or you could think about it in modern day. Yeah. So what's so funny is I'd love to have like a super deep, profound answer to this question, but I'm going to do I'm going to default to my go to, which is full blown honesty even if it's weird and embarrassing. I don't know if it informed my, I don't know if it affected me all that much because I still kind of love powerful, wealthy women, asshole characters. What's wrong with me? Why am I, (laughs) why do I love it? I I don't know. That's okay though. If you do. Yeah. it, It, yeah. I think that, um, I mean, I also think it's just basic things like you know, if I think about back then, I mean, there are so many strong women characters in the media, actually, like, thankfully, I mean, you can, there's millions, okay, thousands, hundreds, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I think that this was just one of many. And I mean, it does stand out in a way because there's not a ton of like women against women in business kind of storylines like mm-hmm. not in this way mm-hmm. so it really was special in that way um but i i guess and i think it it is a testament to like how well the movie how well this movie how good this movie is because it didn't leave you feeling like that was fucked up or there those were like tied up like ends that were not tied up like everything mm-hmm. was kind of like okay and there it basically opened up a lot of a lot more questions it's such a brought up such a complex all these kinds of things that there was some resolution in the plot but like really it just kind of like was more of like a a capturing of like just what we're dealing with here so 
I think it was like a really good vignette, but I don't know if it like informed me. I think I just, I'm so superficial. I was like, <laughs> she's awesome. And I just like her. <laughs> is, that, is that terrible? <laughs> no, I think that's fine. Cause I think, you know, there's something to it. Like if I were, cause you know, I'm in California, right? So yeah. that whole, it's a like, little different. Yeah. it's a little different. Cause that big New yeah. York sort of added, you know, cutthroat business type of stuff doesn't exist where I live and not because it's in New York but because like that kind of that kind of industry isn't here so so for me it's complete fiction right because I don't see those types of women in real life ever this is blowing my mind this is this is also like our friendship this is like because because we have we're such a like east coast west coast Uh friendship and it's so fascinating because we're always like pointing out like weird California and those things and it's like we're always like blowing each other's minds this is blowing my mind right now because you're told like I I literally work with women like this now and not in a bad like not but just powerful brilliant amazing women and I did when I was in New York like so I do see it a lot and I didn't even think that there are some environments where that just doesn't happen a lot. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we have like a huge company here in town. It's like LinkedIn named it as one of the best companies to work at ever, but I want to know who oh. they talk to. Cause all the people who I know work at that company are like, sure. Um, oh my God. Wow. But okay. so if I, if I had more interaction with that company, maybe I would see it, but you know, if you're like, but walking down the street, like when we were in New York in 09, I know it's been a while, but (laughs) when you were walking down the streets in New York, you're like, oh, that's a business person. That clearly is, you know, a business. Like there was just so much like hustle and bustle. And like, you could tell what was business and what was social. And like, you had that delineation here. It's like, everyone's in jeans and we're chatting and like, oh my God, that's not, that's so crazy. The high yeah. powerness doesn't exist. If it does it, it, well, I should say this, it exists in a different way. And you know, yeah. when we even, even when I head to San Francisco, the vibe is different than what I felt when I was in, in New York and what movies based in New York with high powered people feel like. Yeah, totally, totally not even close. I would say. Yeah. Oh my God. That's so crazy. I think there's a lot. Yeah. I think that's like, there's a lot to that in terms of like how we even receive this movie Mm -hmm. in different ways. Mm -hmm. Totally. Cause at first I was like, I get Tess's character. Like I finished school online because it was easier because I had a kid and I get people make comments about that. People kind of you know, and it's just like, you know what? I had a kid and I needed to have something flexible because there is a university well, yeah. not that far from here where I could have transferred, but I would be locked in and it would be a 30 minute commute. And it was just like all kinds of stuff. So online school is a, a lifesaver for me. I still got a quality education, but you know, you don't need to explain yourself or justify any of that. And I agree with that said, there are some people who are in positions of power, hiring yeah. power who see oh. that and are like, nope. And it's so oh frustrating because you're just kind of like, it's the 21st century. Sure, pedigree is a thing and the right university is a thing, but should it still be a thing? So when Tess is sort of battling that stereotype of being just a secretary, that hit. I you was really like, relate. Wow. knew that storyline pretty well. And, you know, having great ideas and people stealing yes. my ideas or saying my ideas louder. And it was just like, I just being said that like oh my god you're killing me but you know going back to working girl and just that whole what's your level of protection for yourself both for Catherine and for Tess because Catherine's speech about like we're in it together it's a two-way street you want to believe that especially when you're coming up I know and you know even though we're talking about the differences between East and West coast, I still feel like, I feel like there is more women supporting women now Mm -hmm. definitely than there was back then because women, 
I think have established certain places of power where they really can't afford to help other women or they got to where they were because some woman helped them Yeah. or maybe a good man helped them. And so the whole pay it forward thing, like it's just the little by little, like the incremental progress. But mm-hmm. I do think that that whole two way street thing, um, is more possible now I really do but I think back then that the movie really captures the accuracy of how it was like every woman for herself like yeah yeah. do you think that or how do you feel let me ask it this way I get super frustrated when I meet women nowadays who are still succumbing to the patriarchal mindset when it comes to like women and work and what Mm -hmm. should be happening yeah how do you like do you come across women who still sort of buy into that bs and like how how because it makes me super uncomfortable and then i feel sad for them because it's like oh you're still brainwashed yeah so okay there's do you mean like because there's a couple different ideas i have like do you mean a woman who is more like of an athena type who like aligns with a man or defends a man or do you mean a woman who doesn't assert herself or which I, I think it's the first one, the you know, yeah. the woman who sort of aligns them with the man and, and defends the yeah. man and kind of upholds what men do. Yeah. Justifies you know, it. Yeah. I mean, I hate to sound like I'm in a bubble. I mean, I do work in academia at an Ivy League university. So I'm surrounded by really smart women. And academia in general like promotes progressive thinking. So I don't come across that. I mean, I come across more women which i fucking love who are bitching about the patriarchy oh like will i mean i have regular conversations with like female colleagues or friends and we're just like oh my god you know and i see you know even i mean i witnessed just a couple days ago it was a a powerful woman who is sort of like paying lip service to this older man who is part of the you know he had some power and she was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, but then she like kind of turned to me. It was just like, I'm not doing any of that. And yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know. Um, and I was, I mean, that just made me like love her. Cause I was just like, she knows she's smart enough to know, just nod your head, yeah, do what you gotta do because yeah. that is the smartest thing. But she's also not afraid to be assertive with men. I've seen her do that too. So I just don't, don't see that a lot in my particular work environment. And I haven't seen that honestly, in all the other, like a lot of my previous job, like a woman was running the department or when I worked at the Met Museum, a woman was president. Emily Rafferty was like badass. So I feel like if I do see women doing that, I often do. I don't know if I would say feel bad for them, but I usually am like, I know what they're doing here. I know what they're Mm. doing here. I think they're doing it in order to survive and really to get ultimately what they want mm-hmm. they're just having to like do this but i yeah. know my sister does work you know like i know people who work in environments where there are like more like brainwashed vacant women mm-hmm. and it's really sad it's really bizarre like how do you how it's 2022 how are you like doing this mm-hmm. um so yeah but I'm lucky enough that I don't see that a lot that's good and I think that's the future and I think that's why everyone people are scared right now because it's not just women you've got people who are challenging gender norms too and you've got people who are sort of saying like hey you know how y'all were living yeah we don't like it it actually doesn't work (laughs) everything's gonna have to change and nobody likes change especially we're white we're ruining white males life or just anybody who benefits from the patriarchy, they're going to go down kicking and screaming. Oh yeah. Why would they give, they have a sweet deal. Why would they give this up? Yeah. They already are. (laughs) They're going to have to. Oh yeah. This is just the beginning. Oh God. I just hope we all, I just hope we're not all like killed before something happens. Seriously. Cause listen, at the end of the day, I don't want to be so stressed out about how I'm going to pay my bills and where I'm going to live. Totally. Like we should all enjoy more than survival. Like I don't understand why we have to just all survive. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. 
No. We're going to wrap yeah. it up now. Okay. <laughs> I'm in the dark. Sorry. It's like it got dark. Yeah. And- the light's gone. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. According to Fortune, quote, 44 female chief executives spearheading America's largest companies. Women now run 8.8% of businesses on the 2022 list. That's up from 8.2% in 2021 when women led 41 of the 500 companies and six times their share two decades ago when women led just seven Fortune 500 businesses, end quote. What I see in Catherine is a woman who, in order to survive, must play into her sexuality while still maintaining boundaries. A woman who works in a male-dominated industry and likely doesn't receive any respect or credit for her work as often as her counterparts. A woman who was misguided and missed the opportunity to work directly with Tess regarding the deal thus challenging the norms of the day. Instead, what we have is yet another film that reinforces the idea that there is only room for one woman, and while Catherine's pride got in the way, I see it as a byproduct of the system in which she must operate. We have to say thank you again to Libby for coming back this season. It's always a joy when I get to see you in live time. I love our chats and um, I'm just so glad you're here. Can you remind everybody where they can find you if they want to keep up with you? Uh, yes, you can follow me on Instagram at the goddess attainable and check out my blog, which is just the Yes, and we will link everything in the show notes, friends, so that way you have easy access and no excuses to not check out our (laughs) favorite pal, Libby. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is written, edited, and produced by me, Julia Washington, and I am fueled by the incredible support system of women who allow me to run ideas, cry, melt down whenever I feel overwhelmed. I also want to do a big shout out to our Patreon community. Thank you for your continued support. It brings me great joy to bring you quality content and monthly get-togethers. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Until next time.